0: It's not often that we gather here in church to deliberately disobey the words of Jesus. But here it is, Ash Wednesday, and it seems this is such a day. Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew's gospel to be careful about practicing their piety in public. He says, when you fast, when you pray, when you give alms, beware of doing it in order to be seen by others. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. When you fast... Put oil on your head, wash your face. No one should be any, bit, any the wiser. Public marks of ritual observance are their own reward, Jesus says. Everything you do is not for other people, it's for God. And if, your religious obse- if, if in your religious observance you are tempted to show off, you had better re-examine your motivation. It's kind of a weird thing to hear his warning about public displays of piety and then invite you all up to this altar rail to receive a mark of ash upon your forehead, and then carry that mark out into the world as a public testament or witness. A friend of mine said last night, I love Ash Wednesday because it's one of those—it's one of the only days of the year, really the only day of the year, when you can see all the other Christians walking around. She said, I feel like I'm part of a great club. Maybe that resonates with you, Maybe that horrifies you a little bit. Maybe as soon as this service is over, you're already ready to like run to the bathroom and smear the ashes off of your forehead so that no one is any the wiser. If so, take comfort in the fact that you are following Jesus' instructions, quite literally. Put oil on your face, wipe it clean, make sure that nobody knows where you've been. Maybe the idea of going out into the world with this little mark on your forehead makes you just a little bit excited. Maybe you don't mind letting the world know that you have just done the entirely countercultural thing of going to church in the middle of a day on a Wednesday. Maybe you're a little bit proud of that. I actually think there is something valuable in the public witness that Ash Wednesday invites us to. All day today, you're going to see not probably a lot of people, but a few people who will be walking around in the grocery store maybe, the gas station offices and banks and places of business, schools and hospitals and post office, you'll see people walking around with this little mark on their foreheads. And maybe that serves a function in our larger world. I don't think it's a way of like identifying the Christians, right? I belong to Jesus. I don't think that's why we engage in this little ritual of public penance. The reason for the ash on the foreheads goes deeper than a mark of identification. It's a reminder once a year of where the psalmist claims that God's mercy comes from. The psalmist says, as a parent cares for her children, God cares for us because God remembers what God created us out of. God knows that we are only dust. We're only dust. So, an ancient way of saying, I'm only human. We were engineered to be temporary. We are creatures of planned obsolescence. We're made up of the same stuff that makes up the whole rest of the cosmos, oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, calcium, phosphorus, and sulfur. The same atomic building blocks that burst into the universe several billion years ago when stars started to explode. It turns out Joni Mitchell was actually literally true when she sang, We Are Stardust, We Are Golden. Those of you who know the the story of that song, Woodstock, know that Joni Mitchell had been actually scheduled to play at the Woodstock Festival. She'd been scheduled to be at that concert. Her manager convinced her that it would be better for her career to appear on the Dick Cavett Show, of all things. Oh, that was a big mistake. (laughs) So Joni's boyfriend at the time was Graham Nash of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. And he was up at Woodstock with the band and was relaying reports to Joni over the phone while she sat in her hotel room in New York City, longing to be there, longing to be a part of her people, a part of her crowd, a part of her tribe. She came up with this song. I came upon a child of God. He was walking along the road, and I asked him, where are you going? And this he told me, I'm going on down to Yazger's farm. I'm going to join in a rock and roll band. I'm going to camp out on the land. I'm going to try to get my soul free. For we are stardust. We are golden. And we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. See, that's the thing that God knows about us. That's the reason, according to the ancient teachers, that's the reason why an all-powerful deity has compassion and mercy on we recalcitrant jerks who have ruined and despoiled God's creation almost past the bounds of recognition. God remembers that we are dust. God remembers that we're only human, even if I am tempted to forget that some days, because God knows, even when I don't, that sin, whatever that fancy term means, it's just another way of naming my ordinary, pretty boring human foibles that deep in my heart there is a liar and a cheat, a selfish child who throws tantrums when I don't get my way. I mean, I aspire to compassion and mercy, right? Who doesn't? Sometimes I actually do a pretty good job of rising to the occasion. And I tend to think that I can achieve some higher plane of spiritual existence by dint of my own ability, that somehow I am in charge of my own destiny. And the universe has this beautiful way of reminding me time after time that I am not in control of the narrative. There's so much that I don't understand. I don't understand myself, much less those who are nearest and dearest to me. We are, each of us, profound mysteries, one to another. And yet on Ash Wednesday, of all days, We're not just a a random collection of individual units, right, locked away in our closets praying for salvation. Jesus' words to his disciples sometimes sound like they're describing a, a kind of hidden collection of isolated individuals, right? When you pray, go into your closet, go into secret, make sure nobody sees you, give alms, hide away with God. And actually, that's not how the church has traditionally begun this season of penitence and and this recognition time that prepares us for Easter. The church asks us, actually, to disobey Jesus' words with caution and temerity, but to gather together 40 days before Easter Sunday, we follow Joel, right? We blow the trumpet in Zion, we sanctify a fast, we call the assembly, we gather the people, we assemble the aged, we gather the children, even infants at the breast, all of God's people, from the youngest to the oldest, gather in churches and cathedrals like this one. We come together to remind one another and be reminded that we are only human, but we're not humans in isolation. We're humans together, and if the the creator of the stars of night can find compassion on we human beings, not in spite of our foibles, but maybe because of them, if our dustiness is the reason God loves us so much, then surely we can have that same kind of compassion and mercy on one another, we children of Adam's race, we children of God who long to make our way back to the garden, So in Joni Mitchell's song, the second verse, she turns to the the child of God that she has met along the road to Woodstock, and she says, can I walk beside you? I have come here to lose the smog, and I feel to be a cog in something turning. Maybe it's just the time of year, or maybe it's the time of man, but I don't know who I am. I know life is for learning. Life is for learning. So over these next 40 days, the church invites you into that kind of deep learning. Lent has a lot of traditional associations and practices that are associated with it. It's a time of greater solemnity, deeper silence, renunciation and disciplines, fasting, prayer, almsgiving. All of that is designed by the tradition to help us connect a little bit more deeply with what it really feels like to be a human being what it feels like to be dust, the stardust that was brought into existence when a bunch of supernovas started exploding a couple billion years ago, a small and singular and limited part of a much wider creation. I think that's a lesson that you can't learn in a closet somewhere. There is a time to go into your closet and pray. There's a time to be alone with God. But there is a time to come together, there is a time to call a solemn assembly and to, and to experience in my body, actually, what it feels like to kneel at that rail next to my kin, to hear voices raised, to, hear the, to feel the breath around me, the, the rattling coughs and the little shuffling of feet that happens when you're in a space like this. Right? Lent is about finding a home once again in my body. We start this whole 40-day adventure not with pious words and music, We start by shutting up our mouths and standing or kneeling, mute and silent, while a priest inscribes a mark of ash on our forehead. That's not about showing off. That's about a need to remember something really important. Remember that you are dust. Remember that you are human. Remember that you're going to die, and you might die sooner than you think you are. And remember that you are loved, that our God is a God of mercy and compassion who created you to inhabit that body in order to bring God's compassion to the world. And someday you will hand that body back over to the creator. You become, once again, a part of the stars. You only get to do this thing for a little while. It's the blink of an eye. So make the most of it. Life is God's most precious gift. Your body is a precious gift. So Lent asks you to receive it once again as the blessing that it is so that when the time comes to let that body go, you have been formed in the art of learning how to let go with open and loving and gracious, fearless hands. For we are stardust. We are golden. And slowly but surely, we are making our way back to the garden.